When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. Loads going on in today's show. We're going to be reviewing Fulham's 3-0 win over Millwall on Tuesday night which extends Fulham's lead at the top of the championship for now. A beautiful night on and off the pitch, and we'll touch on both sides. We'll preview the trip to Hull City on Saturday, and then a load of correspondence, and this will catch on at the end of the podcast. It's Thursday Club Plus One today. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, listeners. Peter Rutzler, hello. Hello, hello. How are we doing? Fine. Late night? It was. It was. Uh, yeah, I was the same before the pod. It was because I was without my bike, which meant it was a little slow getting home, and it meant a later file overnight. So um, yeah, shout out to whoever's got Peter Rutzler's wheels. Please return them uh, to yeah, our. That'd be much HQ. appreciated. Would be very much appreciated. <laughs> I am wheelless. I just have a frame, and there's not much I can do with a bike. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but it is quite it's very funny. <laughs> and I mentioned plus one. It's because Drew Heatley's joined us on today's Thursday Club. Hi, Drew. Hi, Sammy. I'm here for the uh, the 3-0 win, but really I'm going to stay for uh, this will catch on. That's really why I'm here today. Yeah, everyone fancies a bit of this. Everyone wants a slot, don't they? Yeah, (laughs) welcome to the show and thank you for listening. Uh, Before we start, uh, make sure that you're subscribed to The Athletic for all of Peter's pieces. Uh, You can get 33% off a regular subscription by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Peter's pieces sound like if Lidl released a peanut butter cupcake thing. Yeah, I I would eat that. I can't say I'd want my name on that. You know, like Reese's Pieces, but you have to get you have to get the uh, the version like Dan Pack instead of Lur Pack. You know, so that's Peter's Pieces is their little own brand version <laughs> of Reese's Pieces. Yeah, Cuthbert the Caterpillar. Yeah, absolutely. And if someone offered me thirty three percent off to sample Peter's Pieces, I would take that offer. All right, mate. It's a family okay. show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I don't know why um, the Athletic bother with us. Okay, let's do some three-word reviews from last night. Jack, what were the best ones that came in? There was a, a lot of that's for Paul, which I felt was probably the overwhelming sentiment of of every three-word review that came in across the platforms. Um, yeah. and, and obviously the ones that, you know, we have Matt Pollard's one for Paul as well. Um, but I actually quite liked the kind of idea of, of what it meant as a kind of family as well. You know, it was Lee Howard said, Fulham family wins. Um, Rachel said... Fulham family values, David Jones, the Fulham family, Chris Lewis. I really liked everyone likes us, um, which I thought probably fell up like the sentiment. Um, Joe Healy, uh, getting, a, getting two Healy's on one show is, a, is always a gift, but it's three lions tamed. Um, and Ross McSweeney with routine three nil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was clever. Uh, very good. Very clever. 
Brilliant three word reviews today. Well, let's start with some of the off the pitch stuff yesterday, because it was the overriding sentiment, as you talked about, Jack. Um, Peter, the scenes in the Hammersmith end at the end of the game last night were really, really moving. Obviously, there was the applause on 11 minutes for Paul Parrish. Uh, who passed away at the last home game, the Blackpool game. And I just thought the club got it really spot on last night. The, the minutes applause was beautiful, but then the kind of tributes at the end, the Hammersmith end singing um, one Paul Parish. It, it was just a moment that for me as a Fulham fan, just reminded me why this is a special club, why this is a unique club that does look after its own. I can't imagine a lot of clubs going to that level of effort Um for, for one fan. But actually, I think that it was a symbolic thing of showing that this club cares about every fan. And I just thought it was incredibly moving. And once again, I feel like Marco and his team have just got an off the pitch situation absolutely spot on. Yeah, they have. It was incredibly moving last night. And, and as you said, it was quite an emotional occasion, really, um, both both from the applause in the 11th minute um, to the chance for, for Paul Parrish and then and then as you say the the way the players and staff went over to the Hammersmith end at, at full time um, they, they, they do seem to get these these things right um, it really does um, reflect the family values of the club you know we saw that with, with Rhys Porter earlier in the season as well the way he was sort of embraced after the abuse he suffered um, and to be honest you know, at the moment, we're sort of in a time where there's so many different headlines, particularly in the Premier League, of a lot of negativity. Um, and it really does show that there is goodness in football if, you know, in, in, in the right places, um, that Fulham have got their moral compass seemingly in, in the right place. Um, and it was really, really lovely, you know, it was it, to, see, to see the players go over to embrace Claire and, and Fliss um, in the Hammersmith end. Um, and also Marco Silva's words afterwards. Um, to us in, in in the press, you know, he said it's the minimum they could do. But he also said, you know, it was it was important that we won the game. We had to win the game because we wanted to give that good feeling to the family to know that they were able to come here and it would be good. They'd have that positive feeling and and that they would feel welcome. And when you actually really think about that, um, that was actually quite a lovely thing to say and for to feel. Um, you know, since the events of, of Blackpool, you know, there's we've seen some lovely tributes. There was a lovely one in the program yesterday, as well. Um, but you could tell that it did affect the players. You know, the players have all reached out to to the family, um, backroom staff have done so, um, and, and and also affected everyone in the club. You know, everyone um, who was there, I think everyone felt it. Everyone shared in those emotions, and and particularly for Claire's strength, which we've seen on on social media and her comments, and I think that's. I think she's been incredible and absolute admiration. Uh, honestly, it's um, remarkable her, her strength. But she said she got that from the love that everyone has shown, and it's it's been a sort of a, a reciprocal thing because I think people it, re- it reassured people too um, in a way because everyone sort of felt it, felt that and shared in it. And um, you know, last night was was really lovely, and it was a really good way to to remember Paul. Yeah, it was it was great to be there, and it was a really really touching moment. Cam Ramsey tweeted saying everything about Fulham Football Club is precious and beautiful. Together we honoured Paul Parrish and his unbelievably inspiring family and will continue to do him proud. This is why our wholesome little pocket of Southwest Six is worth giving a damn about. We care for our own and the we care for our own is just such an important thing and is why 
supporting a football club for me is more than just trophies, matches, who you sign, what league you're in. It's, it is a community and sometimes it's easy to forget that. And actually that's maybe a silver lining out of the last few weeks as it's just reminded me really what Fulham is about and why we all started supporting the club in the first place for me. Yeah, I think so. And in the modern game, it's easy to forget that clubs are more than just, you know, gigantic entities that uh, feel, you know, relatively soulless at times. I think that's an easy comment to make. Um, And it's easy to look at things and think, oh, especially in, you know, the gigantic mega clubs of the world that, you know, small things get forgotten. And the point that it was about being a community and and what football clubs started off as, as, as pillars and institutions of the communities that they represent was kind of forgotten in the kind of mass, I suppose, globalization of the game. Now, I'm not complaining about that. I'd like to make a point because obviously I think the globalization and, and being able to watch different clubs around the world and all of the above it is really you know important and, and something that I, I cherish myself. But there's something very different about going to the cottage and something very different about supporting Fulham as opposed to having that kind of multiverse of, of footballing opportunities. And I think nights like last night, drill that home, I suppose when the club sometimes feel like they're moving in a direction that the fans don't want. And, you know, we've seen various protests down the years about various things, you know, whether that be ticket prices or or, or beyond that. And in terms of Fulham leaving the cottage back in, well, back in sort of the early 90s or that proposed merger with Queen's Park Rangers that, you know, thankfully never happened. You look at all these different things and you think it's easy to forget that sometimes, you know, fans are the kind of key lifeblood of any given football club. And Fulham had a lovely way of remembering that that was the case last night. And I think that's important. It's just one of those things to just remind you that, that fans are important, fans matter. Um, and last night, Fulham showed that. And I think that's why everyone found it quite so moving. Yeah, Drew, I mean, we always want our clubs to be bigger and better, but actually last night, Fulham felt smaller. It felt like a throwback to days gone by of what football clubs meant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see it as well, you know, we've got these American owners, but actually credit to them where it's due, you know, they do care deeply about the club. And we're lucky that we've still got people in the upper echelons like David Daly, who, who are Fulham through and through. And, uh, you know, that, that's crucial to always have them there, um, you know, uh, giving out the pride of Fulham awards and remembering, you know, what, where this club's come from and, and where we, where we want it to go, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. And, you know, last night was, uh, it was a real poignant moment. You know, I think we're all the same, you know, we, we can all sort of relate to, to, to Claire in the way that, you know, I've been going to Fulham with my dad for 27 years and to go and then not come back with them would, would just be heartbreaking. And the fact that we could all rally around and just show our, uh, you know, our love and appreciation for, for one of our own. And it was just, uh, it was really, it was a real moving moment. It moved me a lot more than I even anticipated and I kind of thought it would. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was great that the club could do that, and it was it was wonderful to see that it's still the Fulham that we know and love. And um, Peter, you had an interview with Claire early this week that was released in the Athletic. Yes, um, I put together a tribute with with Claire that, that went out on the Athletic this week, and um, I, I, as I said earlier, you know, I, her strength and her ability to talk so openly has been admirable, particularly in, in the circumstances. And she spoke beautifully, really, about her dad about the role he's played uh, in her life, in her daughter's life as well, about the emotions that they've, they've been going through and, and then also the, the overwhelming support that they've had as well, um, the love that they've had and how that's sort of held them really and, and, and taken them through. And it was a nice tribute 
but it was really all all Claire's words really I, I didn't really have have much to do there and I think to have the chance to to shine a little uh, a small spotlight um on his life was 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 a privilege really you can read that piece on The Athletic and at the bottom of the page uh, there is a link because uh, the Parish family are raising money for three charities uh, in Paul's name uh, and there's a link at the bottom of that Athletic article. Let's move on to the match then and it was a good 3-0 win for Fulham, Jack. It was exactly what the doctor ordered uh, for us to get back to winning ways after the drop points against Blackpool and obviously the cup defeats uh, against Man City. I thought 3-0 was a little bit flattering on Fulham last night. I thought Millwall battled well. I thought the first goal was very important, but it was one of those games that actually really could have been a banana skin and it was one that Fulham just managed to avoid treading on. Yeah, it felt weirdly routine, despite the fact that we weren't particularly at our best, I think maybe was was the best point way to put it. it you yeah. know, Fulham didn't shine last night, didn't sparkle, um, and yet put a tricky Millwall side to the sword. I mean, look, the truth is that they weren't particularly good either. Um, I think it was a relatively poor game in terms of quality compared to a lot of what we've seen this season at the Cottage. Um, but ultimately, as you say, the the key to winning titles, and especially if you're top of the league, is keep winning even if you're not playing well. And winning convincingly 3-0 when you're not playing well is a, is a pretty big marker to everyone else that we can have off days and still put teams to the sword because we're just better than them. Um, and, and that's what it came to last night. Ultimately, quality told. Um, there was a, a little bit of a fortune about the second goal, I thought, in, in some respects. And a wee bit of fortune, I suppose, about the third as well, in the way that it just dropped to Bobby after Fabio kind of miscued it. But, you know, ultimately, you make your own luck. We had the better chances, I think, across the course of the game. Um, it, if you turned around and said Fulham scored four or five there, you would have said, OK, not impossible. Um, there was a couple where... There was good saves made. There was a, an unbelievable save from Bialkowski against Cabano at, at one point where he you know, scrambled back across his goal line to make a double save. Um, Mitrovic took the ball off Wilson's toes where I think he was about to score um, it just to try and nab his hat trick. Um, yes, Marek Rodak made a couple of important stops and deserves credit. Um, but ultimately, despite the fact that we weren't very good, I think we were the better team and deserved the three points, even if the result did flatter deceive a wee bit. Um, Drew, Nico Williams made his league debut last night. He got the assist for Mitrovic's first goal. I thought that I saw some people saying he had a great game. I didn't think he had a great game. I thought that he had some shaky moments, but I thought it was a solid enough debut and that the fact that the assist proved to me that there is some potential here. And, and I just feel like some of the mistakes probably you can put down to adapting nerves kind of thing. I, I thought it was solid, if if not fully remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a testament to uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the pedigree that Nico Williams has, he's come in. Uh, it, it's not easy, uh, you know, to drop, To it's not even dropping down to the championship. The championship is a completely different league to the Premier League and it's a lot more physical and a lot uh, more challenging in different ways. So for him to come in and, you know, get an assist was, uh, was, was good. As I say, I agree with you, Sammy. I don't think he was incredible, but, you know, I think uh, there's nothing more satisfying than a, than a cut back across the box uh, for somebody to, to, to gobble up and finish. So that was, that was particularly satisfying, especially the, uh, the link up between the Welshman, him and Harry Wilson before that. Uh, there's been a lot said about the fact that they're being reunited for Fulham, uh, having obviously been uh, 
sort of prominent for Wales. Um, it was nice to see a little glimpse of that. And I think uh, he's obviously come in with Tete injured and, he's, and he, has to hit, he has to hit the ground running in the sense that he has to come in and start. He's not going to be brought on, uh, you know, in the, in the 70th minute because we've not got anyone else to, to fill that role. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, th- I think we've probably got as much as we could probably have hoped for. And the fact that he sort of popped up with uh, an assist and, and fits in so well with the way that our fullbacks and, uh, are expected to be quite, uh, quite attacking forces, I think that's uh, all very positive uh, without being uh, remarkable, perhaps. Uh, and Peter, a lot of the maybe external headlines of last night's game are focusing on Mitrovic's goal record. He's now up to 30. Fulham have played 29 games and Mitrovic has 30 goals. Amazing. He's one off Tony's record. He's only 12 off the all-time second tier record. Uh, and he's now scored in every game that he's played in against Millwall. Six goals in five games. Um they must be really sick of the sight of, of Mitrovic. And, and both goals last night were, it was just real poachers stuff. Fell to him, took it well, right place, right time. Yeah, bread and butter stuff, wasn't it? It's, it's what he lives for. Um, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, he's just been absolutely exceptional this season. And <laughs> we can praise him, I suppose, to higher heaven every week at the moment because, you know, his goal scoring record to be this consistent in the championship is ridiculous. Like we, we really should stress that like in the championship, this day and age, it's really difficult to score this many goals. And obviously it helps being in a team that's as creative um, and has so much quality in those wide areas and behind him um, is, is an absolute dream for him. But at the same time to still consistently keep scoring, um, you know, it's a, it's a real credit to him to be on 30 goals in early February. It's absolutely wild. Like it is absolutely insane. Um, and yeah, he's got his, he's got to have his eye on Guy Whittingham and maybe even, you know, those one or two plus 50 numbers, you know, <laughs> who knows? Gosh. I mean, to be honest, we, early in the season, we were seeing his form thinking, can he really sustain this? There's going to be periods where he's dropped it, but you know what? We're six months, seven months in, aren't we now? And he's still maintaining a scoring rate of just over a goal a game, which, um, well, it's a little more over the goal game, isn't it now? Is it? No, it's not. It's, it's no, just yeah, just a, over a goal again. Of just over a goal a game, um, and that's that's yeah. I mean, it's absolutely f- fantastic. But you're right. I mean, all the headlines are always about him, and it's always about his goals. But I guess that the key thing to stress, and I think it's becoming more apparent, and it's hard, becoming hard to stress because everyone just says, "Oh, he's in the championship, always scoring goals," is that his all-round game has improved like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it for the third goal again yesterday, just like we did at City, where he drops into that pocket. Um, almost in the in the space where a number ten would sort of reside, and he knows instinctively what his role is. Round the corner, doesn't even have to look. He knows where Harry Wilson is. It's almost it's almost telepathic to an extent. Plays a fantastic pass around the corner. Wilson's in behind. Suddenly, uh, Fulham have broke uh, launched a counter attack. Millwall stretched, and and the ball's in the back of the net um, through Bobby Decatover Reed and. Just those elements to his game. He's really good at hold, his hold up play. I thought he's really good with his link up play again yesterday. Um, you know, he's, he keeps his discipline. He adds that little bit of fight into the team. Um, he's just been a fantastic asset this season. And, and, you know, we can continue to praise him. But it's, I, just, I just think emphasising that element to the fact that his game is more rounded, I feel, this year under Silva um, is really important. Yeah, Jack, to, for, for Fulham to score effectively the same goal, like almost 
to an inch. Um, two games in a row, Mitrovic to Wilson, pass it to Fabio. The only thing that was different is that Fabio didn't slot it into the net and that Bobby Deck could overread. Really good anticipation, by the way. I was adamant in the Hammersmith end that the Lino had had a shocker and it was two yards offside and he was he was dead on. He, he just reacted so much better than the Millwall defender on the line. But yeah, to score the exact same goal is, is quite bizarre in a way, but I guess also proves that it's a training ground move and it's not just random. Yeah, I mean, patterns of play, right? We, we talk about this and it's going to be important next year. Yes, there are moments where you have to rely on individual brilliance, but actually there's a lot of things where you look at building patterns of play that you can revert to when things aren't going your way. And this is clearly one of Fulham's, right? What well, comes into Mitrovic, he releases Wilson around the corner and Wilson finds the cutback where, where Fabio is quicker than most defensive midfielders and can find that space bursting into the box. Um, it's not anything particularly you know, tricky in terms of on paper, but in practice it's, it's incredibly difficult to do that against t- defenders. I mean, defenders of the, the quality of Manchester City, but then again, defenders last night with a, with a half far, you know, deeper line and who, who were looking to, to sit deeper and deny Fulham that space in behind. Um, so to be able to do that and revert to patterns of play is something that I think we didn't really see that much under Scott Parker. Um, well, we complained uh, about it all the time, didn't we? That, that there was no attacking plan. Yeah, well, it was seemingly. just, it felt like defend and then give it to one of three players and hope that something happens in the in the final third. We are now seeing Fulham execute, you know, we see it from set pieces, we see it from open play now as well. We're starting to see Fulham execute moves over and over again. And I'd imagine that we're going to look for that Nico Williams overlap around the edge of Harry Wilson time and time again as we go towards the end of the season because it allows a defender to to break the attacking line um, and, and to basically overload down that side of the pitch um so i'm really grateful to be honest to see it it's, it's a really good thing and it's it probably stands us in good stead if we do get promoted um because it allows you to have games where yes you might not see as much of the ball when you do have the ball there's a dynamic plan with what to do with it in order to get and you know to make high quality chances in the opposition's half and, and that's currently what fulham are doing um, and i'm grateful for it frankly it just means as well i mean just to pick up on that it just when you have a game like last night where fulham aren't really at their best one, that there is that little quality difference, as, as we were saying earlier, that you know can tell in a game. But when you have these set patterns to fall back on, when you have these routines, you can just implement them in a game when the right moment comes up and it just can make that bit of difference. Um, you know, you have you have the overlap on, on on the fullback side, trying to create overloads in those areas. You have those opportunities to break through Mitrovic linking around the corner. Just having those in your back pocket means that even if you're you're not at your best, you can still fall back on these 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 routines that you know will work and you know and how you've seen work before in games and you know if you, it must be fantastic to be in the squad at the moment knowing you have all these different weapons in, in your armory that aren't just based around the, the player's individual quality um drew i just wanted to touch on nathaniel chalaba um i should have trusted my own instinct on sunday's podcast because i thought is there a chance nathaniel chalaba keeps his place over harrison reed and i thought no sammy that's a ludicrous suggestion to, to think that harrison reed wouldn't come back into the team and lo and behold i should have trusted my own source um but i didn't and i didn't mention it on sunday's podcast but alas here we are i thought he had a really good game and i think that has reed got a battle for that position now is he I genuinely think there's a bit of a fight on between who actually plays that defensive kind of midfield slot next to Kearney slash Seri yeah it, I've said this for years and it's always been the same no matter what manager we've had at Fulham recently you know there's a, there's not there's there's three elements to that central midfield for Fulham and 
it, it's not as simple as you might imagine to try and get those three elements to mesh together. We've seen it time and time again over the last five five years almost with different personnel and different managers. And, you know, Chalaba is a silver guy. Let's not forget the time at Watford. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Silver who brought him in um, from Chelsea. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but he's definitely, they've definitely worked together. So he's obviously brought him in knowing, knowing he's a known quantity to silver. So I think that, uh, obviously, Chalabas had uh, a stop-start uh, time at Fulham so far, but the times that he has come in, notably Birmingham, he was he was um, Birmingham away. He was he was really good. Um, he's had some poor games, but he's a he's a silver he's a silver guy. And I think um, Harrison Reed has uh, struggled somewhat a little bit in recent games, but um, you know I think it probably is a, it probably is a battle now between the two because. You know, competition breeds success, and and there are you know certain places in the side where Silver's shown that he's he's willing to sort of rotate around, and the certain play, uh, certain areas of the side like centre back where he's he's not willing to to experiment too much. So I think uh, yeah, it could be an interesting tussle between two if Chalaba can keep himself fit, because um, obviously it, that's the sort of thing that's hampered him so far, and keep the performances coming in because you know you mentioned the Birmingham one, but there are there are other uh, Bristol City, I believe, was one where he wasn't particularly great. So. Yeah, Chalaba, I think will come in, um, but it'd be interesting to see who Silver plumps for in the in the remaining few games of the season. How many we've got left? It wouldn't surprise me if next season it's it's kind of one of those where this season, as a dominant side, we don't see them together all that much. But actually, if Fulham went up, it could be a preferred midfield pairing for Silver next year because it gives you that kind of aggressiveness and dynamism. Uh, in the middle uh, as, a, as a pivot. Obviously, this year it's okay to have a, a TC in there, to have a Seri in there who have the time and the space to pick passes and take teams apart. Um, but next year, we're probably not going to have quite as much of that luxury and it is going to be perhaps a slightly more battling Fulham side that you imagine you know, seeing in there. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, yes, you're absolutely spot on in terms of let's see them battle it out for that spot at the base for the rest of the season. But if next year... We saw them start as partners um, because it just gives Fulham a little bit more uh, defensive nous and a little bit more dynamism um, and, and physical profile in the middle there than perhaps what you get from a, a Tom Kenny or a, or a John Serry. And, you know, perhaps that actually facilitates TC moving back forward to his preferred kind of 10 spot. Now, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, um, but if Fabio isn't here next year, as looks incredibly likely at this point, um, perhaps that's the move that, that Silver plumps for and it gives you just a little bit more stability at the base in games where you're not going to have as much of the ball. Oh, I'd like to see Kenny in the 10. Don't know why, just always enjoyable when he plays there. He's just a little magician in, the, in that slot, as much as I'd obviously rather Fabio Carvalho, but I think that's uh, beyond the question now. All right, we're going to take a break there. After the break, we're going to look ahead to Hull City. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Drew Heatley. Hello. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Uh, Peter, your piece in The Athletic obviously was looking back at last night's game 
um, on the pitch and Rodak keeping a clean sheet. He had a good performance yesterday. He kept us in the match at a couple of crucial times. There was a very funny moment where he saved it into the side netting. The Millwall fans thought they'd scored and then the Hammersmith end uh, very much uh, enjoyed um, pretending to celebrate uh, for the entire time after that. But Rodak's come in for a bit of criticism in the past few weeks and then you've had like Gazaniga putting in a strong performance, particularly Bristol City away in the cup he was uh, particularly good um yeah the first kind of creeping doubts about Rodak last night was a good time for him to put in that kind of performance which kept us in the kept us in the game kept us in the green and kept us a clean sheet yeah I think it was it was needed that clean sheet um you know Silva's mentioned it a couple of times in his pretty much press conferences obviously with all the goals you know it didn't doesn't really matter does it I suppose that you know Fulham aren't keeping the other teams out but it was seven goals conceded in in four games um, in January, which uh, which is you know is is quite a hefty sum to be conceding. And 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 once those games come around where Fulham aren't scoring five, six, seven, um, you're, you're going to need to be be tighter at the back. And of course, there is the defensive element to this. But Marit Rodak also has come in for a little bit of I just not want to say criticism. It's been that sort of murmuring of like uncertainty that we saw with Paolo Gazzaniga before before Coventry um where there was just this sense that is 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 is, is, it, is everything right you know could Rodak be doing a little better with the goals he's conceded and um I think I, I took a look at the the numbers from last month it's always a small sample but the, the trend you know it does sort of reflect it you know and we go delve into some of the, the the deeper stats on it but in in short Fulham were probably conceding more goals than they should be from the chances that opposition were creating um so I think it was a massive boost not just for Fulham but also for Rodak and and just to keep that clean sheet which means a lot anyway as a keeper but also the way he did it with those two important saves as you talked about Sammy um a really good one to deny Jed Wallace and then an even better one to deny Benikafobi from what six seven yards out made really really brave save that one where it just sort of touches off his hip and, and, and goes wide so um a really, a really key moment. I think, I think it was an important clean sheet for Rodak. You know, Silva's mentioned a couple of times just how important um, Gatsaniga's performance was against Bristol City in the FA Cup, on the basis that you know it was a long time after Fulham had played. Um, you know, there was that pause, and they needed to get back to, to, to playing, and they were rusty and, and, and whatever else. And Gatsaniga had a great game that day, didn't he? I think he made eight saves, and um, Bristol City probably deserve more from it. Um, but that that was a win probably based on, on Gatsaniga a little bit. So he's always there in the background um, battling away. And um, I guess that's that's the beauty of having that competition. And I, I do think, and I, I still retain, and as you said, Sammy, that, you know, Rodak is the better option. I think longer term, it matters to have to have Rodak and to keep him in there, to get, keep him used to the team, to the way they play. And, um, and, and you know, with Gatsaniga slightly older, but that competition can't do any harm. And um, it's worth the piece uh, reading the piece today because there's also a mention of Fabri, uh, the lesser spotted Fabri from from Marco Silva. Yes, um, unbelievable. What, what, what did Fab? What did they mention about Fabri? How good he's been in like well, training? No, was, well, because Silva was talking how about good his what? song was the other week on <laughs> Fabri. <laughs> he's Fulham's third choice keeper, <laughs> <laughs> and that was just about squad competition. And, and Silva threw his name in. Um, he talked about the two. You know, Gatsaniga and Rodak, but then also that, you know, Fabri's working hard. Uh, <clears throat> he said, if he has to be there 30, 45 minutes with Mitro and, R- and Rodrigo, uh, Muniz, and the other players to practice some finishing, they're always ready. So um, 
Good old Fabry for putting Good old Fabry. Go on, hey, son. I, I, I spotted uh, the Leicester spotted Fabry because I arrived at my seat at exceedingly early last night. I was there about... All right, Mr. Tw- Kipling. Yeah. <laughs> Tw- I was there about 20 past seven last night and I very rarely get to my seat much before kickoff, but I just decided to get there a bit early last night and watched, I watched some of the warm up and Fabry pulling off some decent saves. It was basically shooting practice. One thing I found remarkable about um, our warm up was that it felt very Sunday league. Like normally when I see warm ups, it's lots of like drills and stuff. Fulham were just literally peppering shots at the keepers for the last 20 minutes, which I quite like. It's my it's kind we, of warm up. what we do in games as well, to be fair. It's like good practice. <laughs> there was one thing um, from the warm up since you mentioned it, which, which I noticed and maybe I'll write about another time, but you can see how Fulham work on patterns of play before games, um, particularly with the fullbacks. So one thing they do was their sort of possession triangle, which starts with Reem, Tosin and Chalaber. And you could see them working on it where Tosin would feed Chalaber and Chalaber would then either on first touch or second touch, whip it around the corner to the fullbacks who were both very, very high. And they were practicing that on rotation at the start of the game. And actually it was interesting because in the game, I thought Millwall did a really good job of stopping that. So whether, I don't know, they'd seen them warming up, but I think they do it anyway, most, most games in their warm-ups. But Millwall with Oliver Burke and Benekophobi, and we've talked about the 3 4 one two, And if you apply it effectively, you can really cause Fulham problems. And because Fulham weren't great in possession, their touches weren't particularly good, the build-up play broke down. So um, that was one element to their game that seemed to seemed not to click. And then it did with, with, with Williams on, on the right-hand side and obviously that opened the scoring. So there are some elements that are, are useful from that warm-up, definitely. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I'll uh, forego the pints more in the future as I go watch the warm-ups. All right, let's discuss Hull City then on Saturday. Um, what a bit of a strange season it's been for Hull. Um, they are looking like they're going to stay in the division, which after coming up from League One is all that really can be asked for. Um, but they've recently sacked Grant McCann after winning um, two games against Blackburn and then Bournemouth. Uh, they then decided to sack Grant McCann and they've brought in Shotter out of Aladze, uh, the former Rangers striker, uh, to be a manager. That's because they've got new ownership um, and he decided to bring in his own man. Uh, it's not gone great for Hull. Say, going well. Yeah, it's not gone great for Hull since then. Uh, they did beat Swansea, to be fair, 2-0, but then a home defeat to Preston. And then last night, uh, a 3-1 defeat at Derby. Uh, it all seems like a little bit of a basket case up at Hull, um, Jack. But I guess if they're staying in the championship and they are looking like they want to invest in with the, with the new ownership. Um, so, so maybe there is some brighter times around the corner for Hull, but it looks like they might be on a bit of a roller coaster for the next season or so. Yeah, I mean, look, this is, is, is some ways to be expected, right? They were they felt like they were punching a wee bit above their weight earlier in the season, um, given the squad they have. Um, there's obviously some real talent in here and the likes of Keen Lewis Potter. Um, I've always liked George Honeyman, to be honest. Um, he's always seemed like a, a relatively decent footballer at this level uh, from, from where I'm sitting. So there are players here that you can look at and think there is, is talent. But ultimately... You know, this is a side who've, who've lost two in a row, who are having a bit of a trying to work out what they are right now, I think, is is quite important under their new boss. Um, and, and Fulham are going to have to look to take advantage of that straight away. You know, an early goal and and this stock could be on, on the ropes. Um, so I think 
think obviously we saw what, what Derby did to them last night and it did seem relatively routine for Derby at times, uh, which is probably not what you, what you really want to be hearing uh, as a whole City fan, considering Derby are big relegation rivals. Um, but you know, yeah, it, it feels like Hull are kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place in some ways. They've got a new manager in there, going to be kind of moving into a new direction, you'd imagine, in the summer. Um, but right now, it just feels like a sense of stay in the division at all costs and then work it out from there. So, um, yes, should we beat Hull City? Yes, we should. Absolutely. Um, but it's the championship and weird things happen. And we've got to you've got to bring that that game that we brought last night, even if it's like you say. Even if it's not brilliant in terms of performance, you've got to make sure chances are put away and that you're just pretty solid across the board and and we should win this game. I do think that Hull's new owner, um, his name is Achun Ilichali. Um, he is the Simon Cowell of Turkey. He brought uh, Dancing with the Stars, um, the voice um, to Turkey. Not only did he bring them over like as a producer, he also presented them as well. Nice. He's a little bit of a media mogul. I do feel like um, Achun and uh, maybe Tony Khan uh, would, would get along well. Maybe that um, there could be some kind of AEW Turkey link up that uh, if they uh, if they have a pint after the match, uh, you never know. But he does sound like quite a a maverick owner. Uh, he surprised said if both of them are in Hull this weekend. I'll be honest. You <laughs> never know. You never know. Um, he also said he wants to turn the KCOM into hell by offering two pound tickets in order to fill the ground, which I thought was quite a, an interesting little sound. Very Galatasaray, isn't it? Yeah. KCOM, the new, uh, the new death pit. Uh, Hell of, Tigers. Uh, oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> Touche. Round, round of applause for Drew. Waiting for my moment. That's why he's here. Um, <laughs> Drew, um, Mitrovic has scored more goals than Hull City. They've got 26 um, in their 30 games that they've played. Um, it's difficult to preview matches when it's just like, should this be another win? But do you expect uh, any dramatic changes from Silva going into Saturday's match? No, absolutely not. I think uh, we turned him over quite handily in August when we played him. I think it was Mitrovic and Carvalho uh, wrapping things up by half time. Um, I expect similar sort of things uh, on the weekend. Um, you know, this year we've been outstanding. In 2022, we've been outstanding in the league. Um, you know, not even the defeat to City has blotted that copybook. Uh, I expect it to continue at the KCOM. Um, I know Cam Ramsey's going to have a, an amazing day being an open reach engineer and finding the only place in the UK that's not covered by BT uh, infrastructure. He's very excited. Um, so nice. everybody's making that trip up are uh, hopefully going to go home quite happy, happier than Cam on the way up, I'd imagine. Are you I allowed mean, to go? <laughs> no, I'm banned contractually to, to setting foot in hole, sadly. So I'm not allowed to go. Out of the about the myriad of places I was expecting the uh, preview chat of Hull City to go, I didn't expect it to be a dissection of the telecoms uh, arrangements <laughs> up in up in Humberside. But there you go. I guess uh, things are unexpected. I mean, Peter, that game back in August against Hull, I actually thought wasn't a very Fulham-like performance from what we've seen the rest of the season. And the fact that we went 2-0 up and we took our foot off the gas, I feel like, that day. Since then, Fulham have actually not tended to do that so much anymore even if the game is wrapped up we want to score more and more goals I think Hull sat in but Fulham kind of coasted through that second half there was almost nothing to write home about that day it was a bit of an odd match given the way that Fulham have then played the rest of the season but I think we were still warming up at that point weren't we yeah I think um it, it was it was it did feel that way didn't it it was one of those games where I mean since then we've seen Fulham really kick on and really cause opposition teams problems and, and really kill them off in a, in a ruthless way. 
Um, and yeah, maybe that's just a question of the team maturing. I think that in these early stages, it was interesting speaking to Silver about the Millwall game um, earlier in the season as well, which he felt was quite a key point um, in the season. Um, a moment where you could see for the first time the things that Fulham wanted to do um, in terms of their philosophy or style of play. You were beginning to see that, particularly with that really fast start. Um, and I guess Hull was in sort of, was another one in that period where Fulham were just sort of finding their feet and, and learning the ropes under under their new manager. I remember it being quite a good game for Anthony Robinson, if I remember rightly. Um, yes. Really, really effective on that left-hand side. I don't think he's been as consistent on that side since, and we've seen sort of moments and glimpses of what he can do. But it was just a reminder that, you know, fullbacks in, this, in, in a silver team can be really, really effective. And um, now, obviously, with, with Williams on the other side and supporting Tete, there is that, that sort of double... That double pronged element to the to the Fulham attack, um, but yeah, it was probably it was a game in that period where Fulham were just beginning to find their feet. I mean, they did start really well, to be fair. So it wasn't a case of things uh, needing a lot of tweaking, but it was those early 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 indications of what might be to come later in the campaign. Yeah, well, it's a three o'clock kick off at the KCOM Stadium. Uh, if you're heading up, maybe see you there. I'm looking forward to this one. I've heard a lot about the chips up in uh, up in hole i've heard apparently the chips are very very good so peter might be worth um quickly popping in the chippy just uh, before you head home on uh, on saturday yeah no absolutely <laughs> i mean why not telecoms networks and fried potatoes the <laughs> <laughs> just call us lonely planet yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. Uh, right, we'll, uh, we'll leave the um the telecoms and chips chat there uh, and afterwards we'll get into some of your emails Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack, Drew and Peter. Let's get into some of your correspondence. This will catch on in a minute, but first, uh, some normal emails um, without trying to put too much emphasis on normal. Uh, so this one is from Tom in Chicago. He says, hello, Fulhamish. At the risk of succumbing to the errors and embarrassment of I did it myself statistics, I did a bit of figuring today after the game against Millwall, trying to see how many more points we need for the title. He said in the last 10 championship seasons, the most points a second place team has ever achieved is 93, which is Burnley in 13-14 and then Brighton in 16-17. And the average point total for second place over the same time frame is 88.4. So worst case scenario, we need to get to 94 points. There's 33 points to achieve that or 1.9 points per game. And average scenario, we need to get to 89 points, which uh, means we need 28 points points or 1.6 points per game. Currently we're averaging 2.1. He then just puts in capitals. Come on, you whites. Um, (laughs) Jack, uh, it marries up with what you were saying earlier in the season. 1.6 points per game sounds pretty doable. Yeah, does indeed. Um, I'd quite like to get to 100 points if we can. That'd be fun. Um, but obviously, the priority is winning the title. Um, and so, yeah, I said all along, two points a game from kind of where we were at Christmas would probably win us the league. Um, and uh, at the moment, we're we're on course for that. So that's good. Um, I did a bit of digging myself actually yesterday. Um, and I oh. found out that the, the highest goal scoring season ever in the English Football League is 134 set by Peter Reunited <laughs> in the old fourth division. Um, and I was wondering what it would take for Fulham to get to this number. Um, it turns out it's just over three goals a game from here to the end of the season, which does feel a little bit of a stretch. Um, but 
I mean, not not completely and utterly out of the question. So yeah, that's good. Uh, Lord. Maybe we could maybe we could do that as well. The problem is the motivation. If we already have scored like 110, 120 goals with like three or four games to go, the motivation. Well, then we were talking about of- Mitrovic earlier, weren't we? And uh, I think on right now on his exact goal record, he's on course for forty eight point eight goals. Um, obviously, you can't score point eight of a goal, but you know he's, yeah. that's that's where he's about. But you can't imagine Mitrovic if he's on forty eight, not being like get me two more in that last game against Sheffield United, can you? Like. Can you- He's absolutely going to be gunning for it. Um, so so there's that as well. There's that to kind of consider. I guess the interesting thing from Fulham's fixtures is they're so back-ended. Our run-in and our last kind of 12 games is really, really difficult in a lot of places, a lot of tough trips and things like that. At the moment, the fixtures are falling very kindly for us. So I guess you imagine that the, the, the drop-off might be quite high, particularly if Fulham are starting to, you know, coast and then other teams are absolutely desperate for promotion playoffs etc etc uh next one from cody gerard uh this is a really really good email i found this fascinating he said hello fulhamish crew he said in your last episode you talked about how if we made no changes from the squad we could maybe stay up in the premier league by the skin of our teeth he said if you look at the website 538's soccer power index in brackets spi to be fair the 538 is wicked Um, He said a stat meant to compare the quality of teams regardless of divisions. You'll see that it agrees with you. Fulham's SPI of 66.9 would have us hanging out with the likes of Leeds, Brentford and Everton. So in the conversation for relegation, but far from favourites to go down. Our offensive rating from the same source puts us in the same category as teams like Villa, Brighton and again Leeds. However, our defensive rating would be down with the bottom six teams or so. Make of this what you will, but personally it gives me a lot of confidence if we go up going into next year we will try and improve our defense and if we can do it by maybe 10 to 15 percent over where it is now i'd favor us to finish around 12 to 14th based on the picture the metrics paints of us with our current roster and those improvements and that's from cody gerard um peter i thought very very interesting stuff there's only so much you can read into statistics like this and fulham may have a different looking squad next year particularly sans fabio carvalho but I do honestly feel like this Fulham team at the moment stands as good a chance as any. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it was sort of the feeling I had after the, the City game as well. Um, it, the, 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 the building blocks are there, I think. I don't, I don't think you could say this, that maybe this squad could, maybe, maybe they could go to the Premier League. But I think in terms of what the challenge will be in the Premier League, the quality you're up against, the fact that there will be some very difficult matches to play. Um, you feel like that there is the the building blocks across the team. There is a, there is almost a spine you could probably pick through right now um, that won't require necessarily that major surgery that we've seen in both Fulham's previous promotion seasons. I think defense definitely. I think is one area. I think uh, you know there's no there's no ruling out the fact that Tim Ream is you know entering the latter stage of his career now. Um, I think that will certainly be an area that Fulham will want to strengthen. Um, but in general. You see the way the team plays, the philosophy they have, their understanding with each other, and and it seems effective. And we saw that at City. You know, I know it was only forty five minutes, and I know the second half the game was killed off pretty quickly, but and the and the errors, of course, that were, that were made. But you know, <laughs> that first half was really impressive. That hardly anyone has gone to the Etihad and done that this season. Hardly anyone has done that against City. Full stop. Um, in terms of limiting how much they've been able to play, in terms of creating chances, um. And, and actually making making a mark in, in the way they did. So, you know, 
I, I, if I, yeah, from a Fulham perspective, I'd feel pretty good about what Fulham could do next year with the right sort of additions and the right tweaks. Um, of course, it changes with what happens the other way as well, like losing Fabio Carvalho, who clearly is a key part of this team and offers something that no one else in the squad does. So those are the sort of intangibles, the unknowns, but in general, yeah, yeah, good place. Maybe we can get Cody to do a presentation to Fabio Carvalho and just show him um, <laughs> why he needs to sign to Ting. We can hire him, do a really nice pitch deck, sip Fabio Carvalho down and just show, look, Fabio, I've done the maths. Uh, by the way, you'll, you two um, will love this. Um, you remember last week we had the email uh, about Duffy's Bar um, and the joke that we said, it was from Fulham fan Peter Heffernan, 25 plus year season ticket holder. And we joked that Peter sent in an email about himself in the third person. <laughs> this was not a development I was expecting. Peter Heffernan emailed again to say, I wasn't talking about myself in the third person. I'm not Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's my <laughs> uncle's bar who made me a Fulham fan instead of Tottenham and took me to my first game. But you're right, he's a legend. They're both called Peter Heffernan. Oh, it does make more sense now, to be fair. Yeah. It makes a lot more yeah. sense. I, mean, I just, yeah. what are the chances? Thank you, Peter Squared. Honestly, it absolutely made my day when I read that email. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I've still preferred the idea that Peter was talking about himself in the third person. I saw there were a few Fulham fans at the Duffy's bar um, ahead of the Man City game, which was nice. So um, I've got a few fans managed to make the trip down uh, despite the location. Man United next week, if uh, next year, if we go up, we'll make a big pilgrimage to Duffy's bar. Should we, should we agree on that, Jack? Yeah, done. Done. Right. Time for the feature that Drew basically got himself on the podcast for. It's This Will Catch On, uh, the feature where you send in uh, your silly, ridiculous chants in the faint hope that they may be one day sung by the Fulham faithful. Uh, hello at Fulhamish.co.uk if you want to send in a chant. There are a lot of chants at the moment. I am struggling to keep up, but I am doing my best. Uh, the first one is not a chant, but just more of a comment on the feature from Leo Leclerc. He said, has anyone not been able to get the Fabry song to the tune of Don't Speak out of their head since the last pod? There's got to be a push to get the hammy end singing this just once. Maybe if we're a 7-0 up, which could be very soon. I've had it in my head all week. It's brilliant. It's just really good stuff. Fabry. <laughs> well, we've already sang it today on the pod without even getting to <laughs> yeah. even to this feature. So that probably shows you how much it's stuck in everyone's head. Yeah. Uh, right. A couple of tunes first that don't have the voice notes and then we'll go to the voice notes at the end as ever. Uh, Kenny Lambert from Colorado said, I can't sing. So I'm sending this in in writing and it's a song for Harrison Reed. Have we had a song for Harrison Reed yet in this will catch on Jack? I'm not sure we I have. Think so, no. Um, do you know this song? It's the tune Allison by Elvis Costello. Oh, God. yeah, I do. But oh, it's a tricky. <laughs> yes. OK, go on. Well, it's I know I only briefly know the song, but it's Harrison. He'll take the pool away from you. Harrison, you know, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, OK. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm an Elvis Costello fan, but that that it feels like a lot. Um, Elvis Costello went to school with my mum. How about that for a fact? There we go. There you go. At St. Mark's, Peter. Uh, Peter. Oh, Mark's yeah, I was thinking that was my school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah there you go. Out St. Mark's, yeah. Double, double. Love it. Drew, you're a little bit older than us. Does this one maybe ring true with you? Do you know what? It's a funny one because 
I was talking to my dad about the whole sort of thing about uh, chants and singing and whatnot, and he was saying in the in the sixties, fifty, uh, in the sixties and seventies, he's not old. Uh, Fulham fans would wait for you know there'd be that epochal type track of of the day, like Hey Jude, where we were singing, you know, na 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 na. What are you want about Brentford wrote Hey Jude, um, yeah. right? You know, no, if you ever sang Hey Jude around a Brentford fan, they'll tell you that they actually wrote it. It's, it's. I think the credits read, you know, Lennon, McCartney, Billy the Bee. Um, <laughs> wow, I would not be. I would not be surprised, but you'd wait for those big ones that everybody latch onto. And one of the one of the things now is obviously we're singing about players. We never used to sing about players. Uh, I'm I'm reliably informed uh, until uh, probably probably until about sort of George Best, and even then it was sort of the Cantona era where we started to sing about players. It always used to be about the club, and then obviously now we're going for these uh, sort of slightly left field tunes like Elvis Costello, uh, and we're singing uh, we're singing about players like Harrison Reed, who God love him, hard worker. Is he going to be, you know, somebody that we're going to sing about? Like, uh, I can't imagine in the in the fifties, the Hammy End was singing, you know, the Maestro. He gets paid a ton a week. His hair's always on fleek. They were going to be singing about Fulham, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can't have just come up with that. You've been planning well, that for weeks. <laughs> my my cuffs are, my cuffs are warm, uh, but uh, you know, so it's funny. I, I'd say no to that uh, Elvis Costello track, but you know, I just find it fascinating that. Uh, even last night, the Hammy End was recycling through the old classics. Oh of, yeah, we of were. We really went through. Yeah. yeah, we really went through the songbook last night, including a rendition of Steph Johansson song, who is now captain of our rivals down the road, which I wasn't completely sure about. Um, yeah. But you know, alas, here we are. Um, I was talk- sitting next to, to Steve Pound yesterday, which is always a delight. Um, he sits next to me in my, where our season ticket is, and he was singing the uh, Tony Macedo, uh, Tony Macedo is better than Yashin song. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think it's Machado, actually. But, you know, either Maybe way. Maybe it does go back then. Yeah, he said they used to sing a song about he would been better than Yashin, Lev Yashin. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when that was. It was definitely before my time. Um, the next one, uh, we've got two that have been sent in coincidentally on the same tune, but for different players. Excellent. So I thought it this was worth help. combining both of them. Uh, this first one is from Chris Hartley. He says, gents, been listening to Fulhamish since the first episode and never once been tempted to miss an episode. Your content is top notch. Keep up the great Even work. Even when Don Betts is on. <laughs> Even with Don on. It seems that the faithful are desperate for a toasting chant with which to fully salute our influential and hopefully long lasting centre back and nothing has caught yet. So he's got come up with one sung along to the super simple and catchy Boney M tune Rasputin. He'd like to present. <laughs> well, we had two submissions with Boney M Rasputin. Yeah, that is unbelievable. Amazing. What a fan base we are. He says he'd like to present the latest likely addition to the scrap pile. So I'll obviously do this one for him because he didn't send a voice note in for this one, sadly. Although, Chris, if you fancy sending one in, please do. Rah, rah, that's Tosin, kicks them out and heads them in. He plays for us, he needed a song. Rah, rah, that's Tosin, at the back he partners ream. He's bloody great, shall we carry on? <laughs> what a club. Is this, is this the audio equivalent of the cheese board? 10 yes. out of 10. 10 out of 10. Unbelievable. Song know, choice, unreal. I mean, the lyrics, he's, it's exceptional. It's like... Adele wrote it. It just rolls off the tongue. She won a load of Brits last night. So honestly, it was so good. Chris, Chris should have been not the cottage last night. He should have been picking up his award for songwriting um, last night. So that's Chris's attempt at a Rasputin song for Tosin. And then we got this one, which does have audio 
from Ernst Jonas, who says, love the pod, got no mates who support Fulham. So the pod and Peter's articles are such an integral part of my week. And yeah, he sent in a song of Rasputin for Alexander Mitrovic. So strap in for this one. It's a bit of a long one. Here we go. There came a man from Serbia years ago. He is big and strong and his eyes are flaming glow. Defenders look at him with terror and with fear, but the fallen faithful love him more year on year. For the white sea, such a world beater. Give him half a chance and he will fire. Half the game he celebrates with a pizza. Please, Mitro, never retire. Alexander Mitrovich, don't give him a second, don't even flinch. Before you know it, he will have scored. Alexander Mitrovich, your defender is his bitch. Super Mitro, Fulham legend, is born. It's the kind of whispering it could have been on our Huddersfield podcast. It's, yeah. It could have got the ASMR podcast. It's just <laughs> there's a generation of Fulham fans hiding under their stair in their understairs cupboard, trying to sing tracks to send them to Fulhamish because they're to- so terrified of someone listening to them. That was Leonard Cohen esque. So good. It's so like deep. It was Leonard Cohen. That's such a good. <laughs> it was so deep and so quiet. I loved it. That was amazing. ASMR is the perfect description. It's a pizza after games. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> sensational. What worries me I'm is how much time that must have taken <laughs> to come up with. You could release that. Amazing. Just amazing. Rasputin twice. Who would have guessed? Oh, dear. Right. And the final one. <laughs> Is from GCFC. He says, here's a song to Jeff Beck's Hi-Ho Silver Lining. I feel like we've had a few on this run, um, potentially, but it's still quite nice and did make me laugh. So here's the recording from GC. We're going down to Craven Cottage. That's where we're at. Playing Marco Silva's football in full and white and black. Flying up the championship. Scoring goals for fun. Making all the other fans jealous because we're number one and it's hi ho Marco Silva with Mitra Wilson and Cabano scoring. We see Fulham winning, but we will make her fuss because Marco's a genius. <laughs> Thank you, GC. Very good. Very good. I'm sure hi ho Marco Silva might go, to be honest. Um, I'm not, <laughs> not convinced the verse will catch on. Although, to be honest, people start singing the verse for glad all over so anything's possible these days anything is possible packing in the syllables for a little bit there but there was uh, you know it was impressive i tried to start hi-ho steffi hansen years ago um you never really caught on but it, you know hey, you had a better you had a better one i then on went to another one yeah it's okay we just kept writing songs to steffi hansen until someone caught one and then eventually <laughs> they did so thank god for that well thank you for your this will catch on this week um the Rasputin one, honestly, I've got tears. <laughs> I think I, I think I'm done. Honestly, I, I might be finished. <laughs> I've got I, tears streaming down my face from the Rasputin. Right. Thank you for listening this week. Um, Jack, what would you like to go for for today's podcast name? I think I'm just going to keep it simple and I'm just going to go with David Jones's The Fulham Family. I think it touches on everything that was brilliant 
about last night um, really it was, you know, the fact that it felt like a coming together, the fact that it felt like Fulham was, you know, a small family club that we all fell in love with. And yes, we want them to succeed. And yes, we want them to do better. But every year, year on year, we, we reach for that. But we don't want to ever forget what that community is about and what it means. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Fulham family. Lovely, lovely idea, lovely name. And thank you all for your brilliant uh, three word view suggestions. And just for being a brilliant football club. It's just, it was last night was really brought it home. Just how magic and special uh, Fulham FC is in all of our lives. Right. That will do it for today. Thank you to my guest, Drew Heatley. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Was this a catch on everything and more that you hoped Honestly, for? Honestly, I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, let's get the Johnny Haynes chant going as well. <laughs> That's the main reason he wanted to come on. Yeah, he's been practicing for weeks and that was it. That's what we went for. Unbelievable. Peter, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. And Jack, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. Uh, If you're travelling to Hull on Saturday, safe travels. Hopefully Fulham can get another win. Uh, We'll have a podcast on Sunday uh, reacting to everything that happens in the weekend's match. But until then, have a good rest of your weeks. Come on, you whites. Whites.